Good morning. My name is Brian. I hope you're keeping well. Yes. Now, as 2024 gets underway, I want to tell you something really important about myself. I love quiz shows. Now, serious quiz shows, mind you, where the only prize is intellectual glory. Now, some of you may like to watch MasterChef or Dancing with the Stars, but I can't go past a titanic battle of wits that a great quiz show offers. So with that in mind, I have a quiz for you. So we're looking for a substance. So it's made up of two common gases. So you've got hydrogen and oxygen. (laughs) Hang on, hang on. Um, It covers approximately 70% of the Earth's surface. Our bodies contain around 60% of it. Any answers? Water. Yes, yes. Today we're going to be talking about water. Now, water is something we all already know plenty about. It's something that we encounter and we use every day. So let's quickly review how we've used water this morning. Perhaps you boiled the kettle to make a cup of tea or coffee, though serious coffee drinkers would have used a coffee machine. We used the bathroom, we washed our hands, we washed the dishes, and those who were really industrious managed to wash the car and get to church on time. Water. Without overstating it, water is essential to life. As humans, we simply can't live without it. In our quiz, we learned that 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water, yet only 3% of our water is actually fresh water or drinkable water. The World Vision website tells us that globally around 800 million people don't have access to clean drinking water. UNICEF estimates that every year around 400,000 children under five die from drinking dirty water. Clean water is a game changer in poor communities. With clean water, children have access to good health and education and families are able to experience better economic conditions. Judy Wilson, who's on our leadership team, knows a lot about water, having worked as a scientist for Southeast Water. Judy says that the most important job anyone can do is to provide a city or a region with clean water. Some 200 years ago, the famous 19th century poet and philosopher Samuel Taylor Coleridge, he penned an epic poem which he called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Anyone heard of The Ancient Mariner? Yes, a few of you. Thank you. The poem tells of the mariner's plight as he gets stuck in motionless weather patterns, stuck in the doldrums. As he utters that memorable line, water, water everywhere, but not any drop to drink. Coleridge's poem is a tale about water 
It's a tale about thirst. Later on, Coleridge tells of throats unslaked and black lips baked. Such is the toll of dehydration, yet surrounded by water. Coleridge taps into a deeply abiding reality. Our human needs and our desires are expressed as thirst. Water and thirst are metaphors for our very human appetites. Indeed, water and thirst speaks to our human brokenness, our need for salvation, for redemption, for transformation. Thirst is a psychological response to a deep need. In psychology, thirst is defined as a drive, a basic urge that motivates action and demands satisfaction. If you've ever seen a toddler with a desire for ice cream, then you know what I mean. Our thirst is physical, psychological and also spiritual. However, often we thirst for the wrong things or We thirst for legitimate things in the wrong ways and we need the touch of Jesus to change our hearts. Sometimes we're thirsty for love and we seek it in the wrong ways or perhaps we're thirsty for success or respect or praise. Maybe we place impossibly high expectations on ourselves Thirsty as we are for our imagined version of the good life. Perhaps we're thirsty to fill the lonely void within. Since water is essential to life, it's not surprising that the Bible has lots to say about water. Rainfall was regarded as a sign of God's goodness and blessing, whereas drought was indicative of God's judgment. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah declares the Lord's imposition of a three-year drought in response to Israel's wicked king, King Ahab, who rejected God's goodness and turned to pagan worship. The good news is that water is also symbolic of God's blessing. Psalm 23.2 tells us the Lord leads me by peaceful streams, he renews my strength. Isaiah 32 two tells us that the coming righteous king, speaking of Jesus, will be like streams in the desert, bringing life to parched and barren places. Biblically, water also has a dark side. In Psalm 69, 1-2, King David's metaphor for crisis is water. He says, floodwaters are up to my neck. I am in deep waters and floods overwhelm me. Chaotic waters are a metaphor for peril, danger and death. Oceans are dangerous, powerful and unruly. In Psalm 18.16, King David tells us that the Lord drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from powerful enemies. My favourite image of water is as a source of hope 
blessing and regeneration. Isaiah 35, 6 tells us that the deserts will become as green as the plains of Sharon, that the Lord will display his glory, that streams will gush forth in the wilderness. It's an image of renewal, of restoration, of fruitfulness, of transforming that which had once been a barren, arid wasteland. So today we're looking at uh, John 4, 1 to 25. In the New Testament, water is associated with eternal life. Living water is associated with the Holy Spirit, as we'll learn as we dive into the text. For clarity, I've divided our passage into two parts. The initial meeting and the water discussion in verses 1 to 16, and then the woman's reveal and Jesus' statement that worship will be in spirit and in truth in verses 17 to 25. Verses 6 to 7 tells us this. Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well around noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. So Jesus is on the road. He's travelling north from Judea, from Jerusalem to Galilee. It's midday. He's hot, he's tired, and he takes a breather in our vernacular. Jesus is outside the Samaritan town of Sychar, where the patriarch Jacob buys land in Genesis 33. It's evident that Jesus is breaking a whole host of social taboos. He's talking to a woman not related to him, a no-no in Jewish antiquity. He's seen in public with a woman who has a reputation in Sychar, and worse still, he's talking to a Samaritan. The unnamed woman hits the nail on the head. My paraphrase, what on earth are you doing asking me to give you a drink? I love it that Jesus has no hang-ups. He's unconcerned what people might think of him and he refuses to be bound by social convention or cultural prejudice. So Jesus' exercise in social convention breaking needs a little backstory. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. The devout Jews saw them as compromisers, as people tainted by intermarriage with foreign settlers who arrived in Samaria after the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. Given to engaging in hybrid religious practices, Samaritans held on to just the first five books of the Bible that we know as the Pentateuch, but they still saw themselves as the rightful heirs of Moses and Jacob, and they had their cultic worship centre at Mount Gerizim. Meanwhile, back at the well in verse 10, Jesus says, If only you knew the gift God has for you and who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Initially, she doesn't get it. She thinks that living water is sourced the same way as ordinary water. How can you offer us better water than Jacob's well, she asks. Aided by her naturalistic imagination, her desire is simply to avoid the toil of drawing water daily. 
Yet this is an invitation to new and better promises than the water of Jacob's well. Jesus wants her to see her need before revealing the solution to her, her need for salvation, for redemption. Jesus says that those who drink living water will never thirst again. It's a fresh, flowing spring that speaks of the promise of the Holy Spirit, of the promise of life in, with, and through Jesus. In our second movement, we find out more about our unnamed Samaritan woman. She's been married many times. Commentators often reduce this to a simple salvation tale, a promiscuous woman saved from her from a, a, a woman saved from a promiscuous life. But this overlooks the fact that in ancient times it was men that initiated divorce. Indeed, Jewish thinkers of the time considered burning the dinner as sufficient grounds for a man to dismiss his wife. Maybe her only flaw was that she was a lousy cook. Not surprisingly, though, it was women who bore the shame of marital dysfunction. In antiquity, women were dependent on men for financial security and for protection. Without a husband in her life, she would have been forced to rely on a male relative, not always possible, or maybe have to beg for her existence or even be forced to become a sex worker. These were a grim set of choices. Jesus points out that she misunderstands the real nature of her self-confessed thirst. In doing so, Jesus uncovers a past of pain, social instability and rejection, meted out by the men in her life. Jesus uncovers her past to help her to recognise the gift that he offers. His purpose isn't merely to shame or expose Rather, it's to redeem and transform. Jesus declares that people will worship in spirit and in truth. True worship can only happen through Jesus. He is the truth. He is the true temple. Truth implies our obedience as we are called to embrace the character and the teaching of Jesus. What about the spirit, I ask you? In John 3, Jesus points out to Nicodemus the need to be born of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Only those who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of living water, can truly worship God, who is spirit. So how do we tie all of this together? Water, thirst, living water. Perhaps it starts by recognising our need for Jesus, our need for living water. Jeremiah 2.13 provides us with a perceptive comment on the human predicament. They, speaking of Israel, have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. They dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. In Jeremiah's day, God's people had rejected God's goodness 
and faithfulness only to choose dirty water instead. It's preposterous. Who in their right mind would choose dirty water when clean water is readily available? So often we're liable to satisfy our thirst in self-reliant ways. When we face pain, failure and disappointment, we can resort to satisfying our thirst through our careers, through our stuff, through accumulating money or through our relationships. However, if we're to grow in our thirst for the right things, maybe we need to take care of ourselves first. Perhaps you need healing from the pain of the past or maybe you need to reevaluate your expectations. Perhaps we, all of us, need to come to face, come face to face with our regrets, our sadness, our disappointments. Certainly the woman that Jesus met at the well experienced plenty of these. Perhaps we need to find rest from the frantic and frenetic pace of life that drains our energy and robs our peace. Life is tough, but the reminder is that we have the opportunity to know the only one who can satisfy our deepest longings and satisfy our deepest thirst. Jesus knows that we need living water in our lives to have the Holy Spirit present in our lives. In John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples, described as our advocate, our comforter, our counsellor. John, in John 20, the resurrected Jesus breathes on the disciples with the invitation, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in our lives to transform us into Christ-likeness, transforms our hearts to love God and love others. Galatians 5, to 23 gives us a list of qualities of evidence of the Holy Spirit and work in our conduct and in our character. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, patience and self-control. Galatians 5.16 implores us to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. We always need to be coming back to Jesus, for only he can give us living water. Only he can satisfy our deepest longings and satisfy our deepest thirst. Psalm 42, 1-2, gives us this beautiful image of the deer longing for water. As the deer pants for flowing streams of water, my soul pants for you. So I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. As we embark on 2024, my prayer is that I might thirst deeply for Jesus, that you might thirst deeply for Jesus, that we might thirst 
deeply for Jesus as the only one who deserves our devotion and the only one who can satisfy our souls. Amen. I have some instructions for you.